Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Hi, well, I need your help today a little bit to get started here. What you think about uh, the people in the world? If we were to go out from here today, this morning, say, hey, let's just head out to a mall someplace and let's talk to people. And what we want to do is ask them a question. What is the most important thing in life to you? What is most important? What kinds of answers do you think we would get? I'm, I'm actually asking for your responses here. Somebody, uh, Debbie? Family. Family, man, family is the most important thing to me in life. Yeah, what else? Yeah, Jonah? Making money, is that what you said? Yeah, very much, right? You got to get money, get, it, get ahead, get it saved, maybe live the good life. What else might people say? Health. health, that's right, man. If you don't have your health, you don't have anything. That's what they would say. Most important thing in life. What else? Anything else? Faith. Faith? Is that what somebody said? Faith, yes. Some probably would, right? Very important, okay. Anything else? Yeah, Jamie? Success, okay, yeah, being success. Maybe that would bring prestige, you know, or, or people uh, being known, being famous, yeah. Well, uh, anything else? Anybody else got anything in, in mind? Uh, having a job, right? Which fits a lot of those other things, right? Because without a job, it's hard for a lot of those other things to happen. It's the most important thing, your work, okay? Yeah, so there's all sorts of things, and, and those things are important, aren't they? All those things have a level of importance. Well, our passage of scripture today is going to address this idea of what is really the most important thing. So let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Matthew. We're continuing uh, from where we left off last week, chapter 19. Jesus is still in what they call the wilderness. It's the desert area. Uh, down near Jericho, and uh, shortly he'll be heading up the road that leads to Jerusalem, which will lead to Palm Sunday, which will lead to his crucifixion and his resurrection. So all those things lie ahead of him. But here in Matthew 19, starting in verse 16, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one under the chairs there. And we always encourage you to follow along in the Bible somewhere. It'll be helpful to you, okay? And you'll find this passage of Scripture on page 1100. And 35. So let's read the passage. Verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he, Jesus, said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Let's pray again. Father, we uh, need you to work in our hearts and minds here today. We need your spirit to speak to us. Not only understand your word here, but understand what it means in our lives. And I pray not only would we understand, Father, but you would stir our hearts to surrender to you in it. Each of us where we're at, whatever you might speak to us today, that we would say yes to you. You're so worthy of it and we're so needy for it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here is the major truth that, that I think that you and I need to come away from this passage with today. And, and this is it, okay? Uh, that your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your whole life. Right? Always is. Everywhere you go, anywhere you are, and no matter what. Okay? That your relationship with Jesus is the most crucial thing in your life. It always has been. It always will be. So let's go back into the passage and work our way through it here and, and uh, try to come to a little clearer understanding of that. And then there's three truths from this passage that, that I think we really need to take to heart. So let's go back to verse 16. It says, now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? All right. So this young man comes in based on the rest of what we read about him. And, and he's, I think he thinks he's probably in a pretty good place already. Okay. And so he's coming to say, all right, what do I have to do? And I think what he's really looking for is an affirmation of how he's already been living. Okay. We're going to see that. And, and so what must I do? But we do see this... Um, misunderstanding right up front. What must I do? Is there anything you can do to earn eternal life? Yeah, okay, we'll talk more about that. All right, but this is where he's coming from. But like I said, I think he he's, he's, thinks he's doing pretty well. All right? So, so he said to him, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. And that is God. And so, it's interesting that Jesus responds to him that way. You know, he says, good teacher, what good thing. And Jesus says, you know, why do you call me good? Because only, the, the only real source of goodness, right, the final authority when it comes to goodness is God. Well, who was Jesus? Jesus was God, right? He is God. But he was God in human form. And so Jesus, I believe, is trying to draw uh, shift this young man's attention, get him to see that, wait a minute, the issue is not what do I do, but who do I know? Do I know God? And Jesus is God. So Jesus is trying to, right from the very beginning, bring him to this, that his relationship with Jesus is what matters. Let's continue. I think Jesus sees this man, he, does it, he, he, he responds and Jesus says, you know, no one is good but God. And he looks at the young man, the young man's like, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> he isn't connecting this with Jesus yet. And so Jesus goes down another path. And he says, all right, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, let's stop and think about this again. From where we're at today, we would say, can you be saved by keeping the commandments? We would say, 
No, right? And the main reason is because we, none of us keep the commandments. Perfect. But it, it, the sense is, yes, that if you and I were born without a sin nature and kept the commandments, we'd have eternal life, wouldn't we? But that's none of our conditions. So he's going to the commandments to show him something, to get him to see his need for who? For Jesus. That's right. So he tells him to go to the commandments, keep the commandments. And then verse 18, he said to him, which ones? <laughs> you got to love that, right? And I don't think this young man was trying to be disingenuous. I think, you know, he believed what he believed and thought what he thought. But it's kind of like, keep the commandments. All of them? Like, no, no which ones? Because maybe I got a chance here if I pick the right ones. Okay. And so Jesus says, you shall not murder. And the young man's going, okay. <laughs> you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus really did is he took the last six commandments of the 10 commandments and said, these are the commands. And they're all about how you interact with people. And he takes that one about coveting and just kind of encompasses that with Everything else would apply, love your neighbor as yourself, okay? Now, what do we know about, what has Jesus taught about these things elsewhere? What did he teach about these things in the Sermon on the Mount? When he says, you've heard it say, you should not murder. But I say unto you, what? If you have hatred in your heart towards someone, you're guilty of murder in your heart. If you have this un, you know, relenting anger, in your heart about somebody, that's where murder starts. Okay, that is the heart issue, the root issue of murder, okay? So Jesus made it clear that we all have a problem. You shall not commit adultery. He says, but I say unto you, if you've lusted in your heart after someone, you are already guilty of adultery because it always starts in the heart. So, so he's putting his commandments out there knowing... <laughs> He knows this young man. He knows all of what's going on. But the reality is this. If someone told you, if you want to have eternal life, you have to keep the commands, are you going to be happy or sad? Well, if you understand what the commands are about and how they work, you're going to be what? Sad. And that's why Jesus told him these things. Okay, well, this young man reveals to us his perspective on life in his response. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. <laughs> right? I've done a good job. Because he has an external idea about the law, right? He doesn't have a heart relationship with God idea about the law. He has an external relationship. Nope, never killed anybody. Never actually committed adultery. You know, I've done, I haven't, you know, I, have, I haven't gone to court and lied under oath. Um, I haven't disowned my parents. I mean, all these things, right? And so he, he says, I've done all these things, which is amazing because the reality is he hasn't. But his, from his perspective, yes. Boy, you know, this is, I think, instructive to us. It is very possible for us to have to develop a perspective on life that excuses us, right? Well, this is okay because of this or that. And, and so we're seeing he's, this is what he's doing here, you know? All right, 
But he says something else. He says, I kept them all, but I think he knows in his heart something is still not right. Something still isn't, I mean, he isn't all of a sudden confident, hey, I made it. Because if Jesus said, okay, keep the commands, and he said, all right, I've done that. End of conversation? Normally when you think? But see, there's something in this young man that's, that it doesn't jive, because he really does know the truth about his, himself. And so he says, what do I still lack? What's missing? Jesus said to him, and in the Gospel of Mark, when it tells this same story, it says that Jesus looked at this young man and, and he, his heart was filled with love for him. So Jesus is not being harsh here. He's being truthful, but he's not being harsh when he says this. If you want to be perfect. Now, before we go any farther, this word perfect, we think of things, the word perfect and perfection, right? Just everything is absolutely exactly the way it's supposed to be uh, in something. But this word perfection also includes and is more often used, the, the word that's translated perfection, and by the way, it does mean the same thing in English, but we have a different focus. We focus on this idea of perfection. When this word that was translated perfect is used, it meant full, complete, nothing missing, okay? You got all the, it's all, you've got it all together here. He says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to, Take care of everything here. Go sell what you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, on the face of it, it sounds like Jesus, I mean, basis, we just read it without, you know, giving this some thought that, well, Jesus is saying, if you want to make it to heaven, what do you need to do? Sell everything you have and give to the poor and follow the Lord, okay? But that's not the point here. And I can show you why from a couple reasons. Uh, but first one, let me just show you this. If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Do one say people have treasure in heaven? Who has treasure in heaven? Saved. saved people, that's right. Um, and so... What Jesus is doing here is Jesus is making the issue about who? Sell all that stuff and follow me. Okay. Now, we know in the next verse he was sad, right? He didn't, he loved his possessions more than he wanted a relationship with Jesus. So the idea is this. It wasn't that this young man needed to sell all he has and give to the poor to earn his way to heaven. What he had to make was a decision that Jesus, my relationship with Jesus here is the most important thing in my whole life. And Jesus said, was basically telling him, you know, you have a problem with your possessions. You kind of think that's more important than me. Maybe not kind of think, you do. And so you need to make a decision. Am I gonna be the most important relationship in your life? Or something else going to have that place? And so if this man came to the conclusion of, you know what? It isn't this stuff, it's Jesus. I need a relationship with Jesus here. At that point, he's yielding his heart to the Lord. And now when he actually sells and gives it, he sells and gives it as a believer and earns what? Treasure in heaven. And then he follows the Lord. So it's not the act of selling and, and giving away that brings the 
um, the salvation to him is the, the act of, is the heart matter of choosing Jesus over all of that. Now, does that make sense? Yes. It seems to help the clear here. And then we do say, and he says, of course, come and follow me. See, this is the issue. It's follow me. Come with me. Don't let anything in the way. Come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And so this revealed where he was really at. Now, I don't know. I, I hope that this young man, you know, went home and thought about this. You know, I hope he was troubled by it. I hope that, you know, at some point all of a sudden he realized, I got to follow Jesus. I need the Lord. I need a relationship with him. So this idea that your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your whole life. Okay? Always, everywhere, no matter what. And so three truths that, that we see coming out of this passage that we need to deal with. And this first one is this, that Jesus is the issue. The issue of what? That's the issue. Okay? His issue of life. He's God. And you need a proper relationship with him. He's God. God. Jesus alludes to that in the beginning, right? Why are you calling me good, right? Because only God is good. And then the young man didn't get it. That's right. So he is God. He's not your buddy. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good example. He's not the man upstairs. None of that kind of stuff. He is God. And all that the Bible tells us about God, that is him. He is holy, holy, holy God. He is the one who will judge sin. He's also the one who loved us so much that he provided a way for our sins to be forgiven. Okay? He is God. How important is he? He's not, you know, and the Bible is really clear about this. We could look multiple places and see where he is God. Like when he says to the religious leaders before Abraham was, I am, right? I'm eternally existent. He says that. But in the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, in verse 14, it, it, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Talking about the Son of God becoming a man. The word referring to the Son of God. And verse 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, read it with me, the word was God. That's right. He is God. trying to think how to explain this fully. You know, you can have a parent who, let's uh, say a father, and I know some of you had, you didn't have a father in your home, or you had a father who was anything but godly. I get that. But try to think of the way a family ought to be. You can have a father in that household who is quite strict, who says, here's what's right, here's the way things need to be. And there are consequences for not doing that, okay? And yet have a child who knows his daddy loves him and who will climb up on his lap and, and feel free to do that. You understand what I mean? Because we do have that kind of relationship with Jesus if we know him, don't we? Yes. Free. We can freely come into his presence at any point. You know, it, it's just a father and a child or Jesus' brother here, I guess, uh, kind of a relationship where we are free and yet we should never forget that he is God. That's what I'm saying. Don't get in. He's my buddy, right? Oh, I, I like Jesus. How about you? <laughs> you know, it isn't like that. He indeed was God. And so 
If we forget this idea that he's God and we need a proper relationship with him, we can become sidetracked to other things. This young man was sidetracked to what? His wealth, his possessions, okay? That had sidetracked him away from this truth. Now, this happens for both Christians and non-Christians. Uh, Non-Christians certainly get, can get sidetracked and, and think, as we talked earlier, what's the most important thing in your life? And they've what? It's this and this and this and this. It's not Jesus, okay? And so they're sidetracked by those things. But as Christians, we can get sidetracked too. Think about weeds, Okay, weeds that grow in your garden. Go ahead and go to that if you would, Eduardo. All right, we have this garden and it's, it's supposed to be, you know, growing what it's supposed to grow and being taken care of. But it's easy for, for the weeds to grow around that. And Jesus talked at some point about soil where the, you know, there's a life in this plant, but the weeds come in and kind of choke it and it's not fruitful. And, and we can become like that in our lives when we forget that Jesus is the issue of our lives, not anything else. And, and we might think, well, okay, that's yeah, not that big deal because the things I've supposedly sidetracked right here are all good things. I'm sidetracked by my family. I'm sidetracked by my hobbies. I'm si they're all, but they're all good things. They're nothing bad. But listen, being sidetracked from what really matters, I mean, thankfully, God is gracious. Thankfully, he's what the Bible calls long-suffering and patient, right? That he doesn't give us <laughs> what we necessarily deserve all along the way. But here's the reality. If we get sidetracked from this truth in our lives, it's like, well, let me ask you, how many of you, uh, and maybe the young people will say no, but how many of the rest of us ever walk from one end of the house and get distracted? <laughs> we're doing so, oh, we head to the other end of the house and we get there and we're like, what's going on? Right? Well, imagine, and I can't imagine this. If, if I put the pan on the stove and going to cook something, maybe put some oil in it, you know, and, and, and I say, oh, I want to run to the other room and grab something, right? And I go to the other room and I can't remember. But the phone rings. And it's someone here at church. It, they're in the office trying to do something. They can't figure out how to do something. So I, I start trying to tell them, and they say, oh, man, it's, I just not, it's not really bad. It's not working. I need to get this done because something's starting a little bit. I say, oh, the, okay, I tell you what. I, I live right around the corner. I'll be up there shortly. I'll be right there, you know? And, and so I get ready, and I run up here. And there's still a pan on the stove. And I get up here, and I get sidetracked to the next thing and the next thing. What ends up happening? We got a pan on fire on the stove, don't we? The whole house could burn down. And so it's like this when we become sidetracked from the truth that Jesus is the issue. He's the one we need a proper relationship with. That should come before everything else. And when we don't, it can bring serious damage into our lives and the lives of people around us. Many people's lives have been shipwrecked because they got sidetracked into something else. All right. So this brings us to the second truth from our passage, and that's this, that you can only receive eternal life by receiving Jesus as Savior. That's clear throughout the scripture, and we see Jesus bringing this young man, you know, we don't have the whole explanation of the gospel and everything here, but what we have is in bringing to this young man that it's, it's a relationship with me that you need. That's why you need to let everything go and follow me. It's about me. You can only receive eternal life by Jesus as Savior. So what do we see this young man doing? 
We see him thinking the commandments and, and interpreting the commandments so that he's not guilty, right? Uh, but he missed the heart. He missed the heart of it. Remember, that's where the anger, I mean, you know, it can be murder, lust can be adultery. He's missing the heart of those things. And uh, this is where the Lord wants us to always live from. It's from our hearts. And if you don't know Jesus the Savior, your heart hasn't been changed yet, and so you can't succeed at that. But if you do know Jesus the Savior, you can live from the heart what's right. And you don't always get it right out here, but your desire and sincerely is to, to do what the Lord wants you to do. So the heart matters. And so it's, it can't be the doing. The Bible's so clear. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, that therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh, that means no human being, will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay? There's nothing we can do that will save us. And we're talking about the law of Moses. That won't save you. You can talk about the, your own laws, the own rules that you've set up for life. Those can't save you. It will not. It cannot. Because guess what? You've already messed up. You've already messed up. We've all messed up. There's already sin that needs to be atoned for. And so there's nothing we can do that is then going to change that. I mean, no actions we can take, no rules we can keep that will take away that sin. And, and Paul here says to us, that's not even the purpose of the law for us. That's not what the law is for. He says what the law is for is to reveal sin to us, to show us the ways that we have sinned, the ways we have failed to measure up. There's this uh, chemical called luminol, which police, the police use in their investigations when they're looking for blood in a place. Go ahead and go to that if you would, Eduardo. So they're looking for blood and maybe it's all been cleaned up and you can't see it. But when they spray this chemical on the, like here on the carpet and the walls and then get a, a, I think it's probably a black light or whatever, it reveals the blood. So what looked good on the outside was what? Not really good. It's a problem. It shows up. And this is what the law does for us. It shows us those ways that we aren't measuring up. It shows us what Paul talks about in Romans 3.23 when he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? We fall, fall short of God's standards, of God's glorious standards. And so this is why we cannot receive eternal life any other way. There is no other way. You can't be baptized and get, make it to heaven. That won't do it. You can't give enough money to make it to heaven. You can't be involved in enough ministries to get to heaven. None of that. It's only, remember, it's about a relationship with Jesus. That is the most important thing in your life. Always, everywhere, no matter what. And, and so we must come to him and receive him. He knows about our sin. He died on the cross paying the penalty for our sin. He rose again from the dead victorious over sin. And now he offers to us forgiveness of sin by receiving Christ as Savior, by saying, I get it, he died for me. I, I have no other solution to this. In fact, I'm turning away from anything and everything else. Nothing else can save me. Only Jesus can save me. Oh Lord, I trust you as Savior. 
I receive you as Savior. I accept what you did for me, for the forgiveness of my sins. And when we do that, he forgives every sin. He gives us eternal life and he moves in. And if you haven't made that decision, you need to make that. And I just say, do it right now. In your heart and mind, say, oh God, that's me. And right now I'm receiving Jesus as Savior. And, and let me encourage you to do that if you're watching now or watching later, listening later. It's crucial because Jesus is the issue, right? All right, third truth here. Anything that comes between you and your relationship with Jesus needs to go. If you don't know the Lord and that's in keeping you from Jesus, it needs to go. If you know the Lord and there's something in your life that's coming between you and Jesus, it needs to go. It needs to go. Um, so this young man knew something wasn't right, and that's why he finally says, so what do I still lack, right? What do I still lack? And what he really lacked was the understanding. I mean, he had heart issues, but he lacked the understanding. Uh, and this is so important for all of us. We need to understand Jesus is not optional. He's not optional. He's not optional when it comes to being saved and having our sins forgiven and made to heaven. Not optional. He's the only way, right? I am, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to me or to the Father except by me, okay? He is not optional. But it's the same for us who know the Lord and are needing to live our lives like Christians. It's, it's the same for us that if Jesus doesn't have this place in your life that he's supposed to have, you're making him optional. This is the one thing you gotta have, everything else is optional, but Jesus, he's not interested in being an option for you. You know, you ever buy a thing online and you click on this, it says, oh, do you want this, this, and this, 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 you know. Jesus is the thing at the top, not one of the options. Okay, and we need to remember that. And so that means if Jesus is not optional, we need to choose Jesus first. We need to choose Jesus above all. Jesus before anything else in our lives. Choose Jesus above all. First of all, for, for salvation. We've already talked about that, right? Okay. If you're going to be saved, you must choose Jesus. But it's also for living life as a Christian. Okay, both of those things. Neither of those can you succeed at without choosing Jesus above all else. Okay. Imagine this with me. Let's say you're a person who you really love your money. And, and I mean, I'd like to say I don't love money. I do like money. I like it when I got it in my pocket. I like it and it's in my bank, right? I like it when I can do that. I do. But let's, let's say that it's, it's bigger than that. And, and you have a safe where you keep all your money, at least all your extra cash, whatever that means. Uh, but you got a safe and it matters to you. It matters to you so much that when you go on a cruise, you take your safe with you. Okay? Because it's so important to you. And then your cruise ship goes down. And you find yourself in the water holding on to your safe. You can barely keep your head above water trying to hold on to the safe. There's a ship nearby and they're throwing uh, life rings with ropes out to people. And they throw it in front of you. But the only way you can take the life ring is to do what? Let go of the safe. 
And see, this is where we find ourselves in life often. Like I said, if you haven't received Jesus yet, you may be here. If you already know the Lord as Savior, you could be here with something in your life that has become more important than it should be. And, and you're going to have, you're going to make a choice. I got to let this go to have what Jesus has for me. Because we've already seen in, um, when we went through Colossians a while back, I said the Lord's not optional, right? And we need to let go of whatever gets in the way. Because Paul said, the Holy Spirit through Paul in Colossians said that in all things, he might have the preeminence, right? That's how it works. Now, do you feel like, that's harsh. That's hard. Now, you know, if I said to you, I come first, and you need to give up everything to follow me, well, don't be stupid. <laughs> I'm not the one to follow, right? But Jesus is. When he calls us to come follow us, he's called us to the very best thing for us. The thing that will bring us the greatest blessings in this life, the things that will give us the greatest blessings in eternity are those decisions where we remember and keep him first and forefront in our lives when we give him that preeminence in our lives. And here's what we find in, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus talking about the things that we need in life and things we think we need in life. He says, but seek first. Seek what? What's that word? Say it with me. Seek. Almost. Seek. Okay. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you need will be added to you. The Lord will take care of you. In fact, he takes care of you in ways that you will find to be greater blessings than you even understood. And so anything that comes between you and your relationship with Jesus needs to go. There was a missionary back in the 1950s. I mean, he was a college student and then became a missionary. And, and he put together a small team of uh, people, including some AVA, some pilots and to fly. And his desire from the Lord, he was convinced, was to fly into somehow or other the jungles, the rainforest of Ecuador, and try to reach this tribe of Indians. There. I, and I can't say the name. I mean, I don't know how to say the name. But he was going to go and do that. And so he put this team together and they were finally able to do it. They figured out a way to land on a sandbar in the, the jungle there. And they, they met the Indians. Before this, they were doing all sorts of things to try to connect with the Indians. And they um, did. They made connections and they interacted with them. But a few days later, the Indians showed up and killed them all. Killed this missionary. Gave up his life trying to reach these people and didn't reach him. But he gave up his life to follow the Lord. Interesting part of the story is that his wife and children went back into the jungles later and lived there and was translating the scripture. As a result, the entire tribe got saved, including those who had killed her husband. But anyway, he gave up his life to follow the Lord here. He had written in his journal a few years before he went. This is what he said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so if the Lord does by any chance lead you actually to give up something to follow him, 
that's something you can't keep. It's, you're going to die and it's going to go away. And so if he does call, you know that it's not foolish. It's wise to give that up because the Lord is going to reward you now and in eternity. So the bottom line from this story is what we start off with. Your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your whole life. Always, everywhere, no matter what. And I would ask you today to consider what would, if the, what is there in your life that the Lord said, hey, you need to get rid of that and follow me. What would it be? Where, what would be that thing that you would really struggle to let go of? Identify that and then take it up with the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm letting all this go because I want to follow you. You may have to get rid of it. You may not. Be understand what I'm saying? Come to that place in your life where nothing, nothing, you allow nothing to come before the Lord in your life. Father, we come to you now and thank you for your word. Um, thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that we are privileged to be able to follow you and to, to let go of all else that we can understand that following you is more precious, more valuable, more fulfilling and honors you in a way that nothing else does. Help us to reach that place and do it. And I pray, Lord, for anyone who doesn't really quite necessarily understand, they still have questions about receiving Christ as Savior. I pray that you would prompt them, Lord, to reach out to us either here today or online somehow, Lord, so that they might receive your Son as Savior. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's see if we have any questions today. I might have a few, if not. Okay. All right, we do. Okay, here's a question. In verse 25, the Bible says the disciples were astonished at what Jesus had said. Oh, next week. Seriously, that's a, that's a question that goes to next week. That's where we'll be. So I'm going to let you wait on that, all right? Please explain Romans 3.23. Is it because our sin nature when man disobeyed God in Genesis? Okay, so in Genesis, I'll get, try to give the quick version here. In Genesis, Adam and Eve, but as our representatives, they were the first human beings, they chose to disobey God. God gave them the free will to do that. And they chose to disobey God, and that brought all of the consequences of sin into the world that were not there before. That includes uh, all the, th the way things break down, rust, death, pain, suffering, all that kind of stuff came into the world. But what also came into the world was that they now had a different kind of nature. They had a sinful nature where their spirits were dead to God. Okay, they didn't have a relationship with God. They needed to be saved. They needed to uh, respond to him for salvation. And so when it talks about sin here, I think it's talking about the results of this in our lives. So the result is that from the moment we're conceived, we're conceived and we have a, a self-centered nature. Anybody doubt that? Look at that cute little baby until they want something, right? It's about them. And so that's that nature that we have. And then we live it out. We act on it. We, we make choices that are not right. We make choices to set aside what is right because we want something, whatever. 
And so I would say that when he says that we all have sinned, that are, those are actions. Those are the sins we have done. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's standards. We, we do that because we started with the sin nature. Okay, if that makes sense. All right. Is repentance necessary? Oh, that's, I should read the whole question. Why did Jesus not respond to the rich man by saying, there's nothing you can do, you can only get eternal life by faith. There's nothing in this passage that mentions eternal life being inherited by faith and belief. Verse 29 seems to continue the idea that you need to do something to inherit eternal life. Verse 29 is off limits this week. Would needing to make Jesus the most important thing in our lives for salvation be similar to the idea of lordship salvation and is repentance necessary for salvation? All right, a lot of stuff there. Uh, let me see if I can talk about it um, and, it, and combine all of those thoughts there. Um, repentance is necessary for salvation, but that may not mean what you think. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about re- the message being repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. And what repentance means is a change of mind, you know, that leads to a you know, eventually a change of heart. And if, if you have a change of mind and heart, you change the way you live, okay? But it isn't saying you have to change your life. The word means to actually have a turning of your mind. And when you turn, so let, let's say this. Let's say in my life, I'm counting on these things to be, uh, make me a good person and make me right with God. And I hear the gospel. And I, I begin to understand that, wait a minute, none of this can make me right with God, right? There's nothing I can do. Nothing I can stop doing that's going to fix my problem with God. I must receive Jesus as Savior. And I can understand that Jesus is the only solution. And so I turn from this to him. What have I just done? I've repented. Okay, we think the repentance be sad, and you probably will be. But that's not as it's about turning away from this to this. So yes, in that respect, repentance is required for salvation. All right, it's a change of mind about where your salvation lies and who your faith and trust is in. Um, And yes, people could, when the question here asks about lordship salvation, there are some Christians who believe that you must understand that Jesus is Lord of your life and you are consciously surrendering the fact that Jesus is Lord of your life or you can't be saved. I think it's a mistake. Now, the other, the, the other mistake that's made, and I've heard often over the years, is, well, you receive Christ as Savior, and then as you grow, you make him Lord. No, no, no. The moment you receive Jesus as Savior, he is your Lord. And then you need to learn what that means in your life and to live it out, okay? So um, I would say this in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead will be saved. So confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Confess means to agree with. That's the meaning of that word. If someone confesses to a crime, what are they doing? They're agreeing. I did it. Okay, so we confess the Lord Jesus. That means we're agreeing that Jesus is Lord. Okay, but 
not everybody fully understands what that means at that point in time, and you don't have to. But here's the question. If I were to ask you, let's say you and I were talking about this and you didn't know the Lord yet and you're trying to make a decision and I'm showing you that Jesus is Lord. He's who the Bible says he is. And, and uh, you know, if you believe and trust, he'll save you. And they say, well, what about this in my life? Is that right? I said, well, no, it's not. Jesus is Lord. You're going to have to make a decision. They go, oh, well, I'm not doing that. See what I mean? They're consciously saying what? No to Jesus as Lord. And you can't get saved if that's where you're at. That's why we come to Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. He is it. He is the issue. Nothing else is the issue. It's about receiving him. Now, I think I just said things that cleared things up. Did I? Or not? Do people feel like it muddied it up? Or? All right, well, if you did, feel free to talk to me afterwards. I'll be glad to try to help you. Uh, okay, let's see here. Sometimes I struggle with providing security for my family as a steward of them as a gift from God and still being willing to sell it all and give to the poor. How do I know I'm not just making an excuse for keeping my life safe or secure? You get the question? In other words, I'm trying to take care of my family. I have these responsibilities. And yet I hear things like sell all you have and give to the poor. And I want to be that kind of person. Okay. It's easy to say, oh, I would do that if Jesus told me to. Is it easy to say those words? But you wonder, would I really? Right? What I would say is this, that, that God is loving, merciful, gracious. He knows us inside out. He knows our hearts better than we do, all of that kind of stuff. And so this is why we need to come to him on a regular basis, daily, and maybe moment by moment sometimes, and maybe extra focus other times, just saying, God, I really do want to do what you want me to do. Here's the way I'm seeing it right now. Please, Father, if, if I'm not seeing it right, would you change my mind? Show me. Help me to know if I need to make a different kind of decision. All right? And that's the way we probably ought to live. Not probably. That's the way we should live all of our lives, not just on that issue. Good question. Why does Jesus only list six of the commandments in verses Matthew 19? Um, well, let me say this. First of all, Jesus God. God knows everything, Right? However, when Jesus, the Son of God, became a man, he gave up the independent use of those divine attributes. He says very clearly that the Holy Spirit, God the Father, was showing what to do. And so he lived his life very much like you and I should, but with no sin nature, perfect connection with God, doing what God said. So the, uh, I would say that his line of thought was, hey, I'm going to give him these commandments. Here's these, these commandments, the ones about where you live out here. It's a lot easier to say, oh, I, I'm good with God. How do we know? Well, how would you live out here? And so he uses all the commandments related to how we interact with people. Assuming that that would be sufficient for this young man to get it. You understand what I'm saying? This young man, after those, he ought to go, oh boy, am I in trouble. I need help. But he didn't. Okay. Um, and the other issue related to this question is that Jesus was taking to the commandments about God because Jesus is God and he says, everything else needs to go, follow me. So in that sense, he did get to those first three commandments about God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Relationship with God. He did call into that. All right, that is the last question I got. Great questions, guys. 
And feel free, like I said, to talk with me about more if you want to talk more. <laughs> okay. All right, well, God bless you. This is great. So we, we, you guys are already asking questions that are leading us right into next week's sermon. Okay. See you then, if not before. Yeah.